0: anyone who knows what it is to dream, which I hope is all of you, that even if it's been a while since you believe that dreams come true, I know that we all have hopes and dreams for our lives, and if you're a parent, for our children and grandchildren as well. Uh, I'm a grandmother of seven, and it's been fun to watch the kids as they grow and to see how they're Dreams kind of change and develop as they begin to understand a little bit more of who they are and their uniqueness and their gifts and the things that they love to do. Uh, I remember our our one granddaughter is fourteen now, but when she was young, she wanted to be a princess mermaid ballerina. And it didn't seem to matter to her that even if it was possible for be her to be a mermaid, she couldn't be a mermaid and a ballerina, or it would take a very strange shoe. but, uh, but it's, you know, there's few things as fun as listening to kids' dreams. And yet, as we've gotten older and uh, the experience of life ha- teaches us that uh, sometimes dreams get crushed, right? Through life circumstances, other people, the world, uh, things don't always go as we had hoped. And so next week we're going to talk about what to do when the dream becomes a nightmare, and if you've got somebody in your life who's maybe going through some tough stuff, this would be a good message for you to invite them to come and, and to listen to. But this week my goal is to encourage you and to help you, to give you some guidelines that will uh, help you to encourage the children in your life to be dream chasers. As I was on vacation this last week I, and thinking about um, uh, the last four years, uh, I always seem to take my vacation at the end of June, and I haven't been here yet on Father's Day. So I thought I'd try to incorporate a little guidelines and instructions for parents this morning as well. And this series is about a guy who was known for his dreaming. Uh, Joseph of the Amazing Technicolor Code. Anybody seen that uh, fame? Uh, Joseph from the book of Genesis. And uh, in your bulletin, you'll find a little sheet that looks like this, and on the back are some scriptures that tell Joseph's story. And if you would read through those over the next couple of weeks, you might want to just sit down and do it all at once, or uh, this is divided up so it's just one chapter a day if you want to do that. But I think that it'll help you to kind of have some background and understanding of the story in general as we go through it. And this week, we're starting in Genesis chapter 37, and we're coming right in in the middle of Joseph's story. He was um, the 11th son of Israel, or later uh, God named, renamed him Jacob, but, uh, and he, his mother was kind of in a competition with his stepmother to procreate children for his father. And so between the two of them, uh, he was married to two wives and had two concubines. And so between the two of them, they had 12 sons and at least one uh, daughter. And so if you think your family has problems or is messed up, uh, you haven't seen anything yet. He he was in a pretty dysfunctional situation as a young man. And we're coming in in his story in Genesis um, chapter 20, uh, 70, uh 37, dyslexic here, uh, verse 3, uh, and this is the part where we read about the giving of this uh, dream code or the special robe that he was given. So let's read there, verse 3. It says, Now, Joseph, okay, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Are there any parents here that see this as a recipe for disaster, right? The writer is letting us in on something right here at the beginning, giving us a glimpse of how things are going to unfold. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So if there was a slam, if there was a put-down, it was aimed at Joseph. And then Jacob gives Joseph this ornate robe. And we're not sure exactly what this word in the Hebrew means, how it translates. Uh, Some English translations read that it was a robe with long sleeves. The King James Version says it was a coat of many colors. So we're not exactly sure what it looked like, but we do know from historical records and things um, what the meaning of this robe was. And to kind of get you on board with this, uh, it was like his robe was hand-tailored by Neiman Marcus, and the rest of the boys were getting their robes off of the Kmart Blue Light special rack, you know. Uh, It was a very expensive robe, an ornate robe, and had, but it, had, it was more than the expense of it that was significant here. This, event, um, this robe was given uh, in a special ceremony, and it was given to the person that the father was designating as the primary heir of his estate. And so this person, this son that was chosen, would get a double portion of the father's estate and then the rest of the kid's would divide up what was left. And so this was an emotionally charged ceremony when he gives this robe to Joseph, who is 11th in line. All the rest of the, the brothers know that they have been passed over. They're very hurt by this, and it says that they hated him. And that was disturbing enough, but then Joseph began to have some dreams. And we read uh, about his first dream in verse 5, where it says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. And as you read this story, it's kind of hard to even imagine that he'd ever been out in the field binding sheaves. But (laughs) when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. Now, in this period of time, um, dreams were often seen seen as prophetic. So for Joseph to go to his brothers and kind of gather them around and say, hey, I had had this great dream, you know, uh, kind of like giving an opportunity to practice bowing now or something, wasn't the wisest thing that he had ever done. And his brothers didn't take to it very well at all. This was their response. All right, His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So um, he's had these, this dream. Uh, he gives his brothers this opportunity to bow down to them, to him. Uh, and they're not too excited about that. But then things get even uh, more interesting. Joseph has another dream, and it says, then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. He said, listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And then it says, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And one of the words that keeps popping up in this section of Genesis is the word hate. We've seen it over and over. His brothers hated him, so much so that they end up plotting to kill him. And one day his dad uh, sends Joseph out to the field. All the other brothers are out in the field working, attending the sheep or whatever. And he sends Joseph out there with some lunch for them and he wants Joseph to bring a report back how how, how they're doing, how things are going. So Joseph, uh, for some reason, wears this nice, ornate robe out to, to uh, talk to his brothers. And uh, as he's coming and they see him approaching, they say, let's kill him. <laughs> They're just like ready to do him in. And the older brother, Reuben, uh, says, well, you know, let's let's not kill him and have his blood on his hands. Let's just throw him in this cistern over here and let him die natural causes. So they throw him in the cistern, but um, apparently Reuben went to shear uh, some sheep or something, and he was gone when some slave traders who were headed to Egypt came through. And the other brother said, hey, why just let him waste away in the pit there? Let's make some money from him. So (laughs) they sold their brother to these slave traders for 20 shekels. Uh, They took his robe, and um, they killed a goat, splattered the blood on it. And you can almost kind of imagine that they had quite a bit of fun uh, stomping on it, making it look like uh, Joseph had been attacked by some kind of a, Uh, animal tearing it and those kinds of things. And then they took it back to their father and said, Isn't this your son's robe? And and Israel or Jacob said, Of course, yes, it is. And he went into a period of um, mourning. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to uh, see how Joseph eventually ends up living out that dream that he had but, when he was seventeen and was sold into slavery, he had no idea the amount of struggle and pain that would be between be between receiving the dream and actually beginning to live the dream. And um, but God was in it. He used it for his purposes. And even though there was a lot of pain in between, God turned things around so that in the end, Joseph was in a power position. A, position of authority, uh, was able to store away grain for a famine that was coming, and in the end saved uh, his life and the th- lives of thousands of others in Egypt by being used by God in this way. So we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks, but today I want to give you a few principles, guidelines for from Joseph's life to encourage you to um, help your children and grandchildren. And it doesn't even have to be children and grandchildren. We all have neighbors and kids in our life that we have influence over uh, to be dream chasers. So, in your message notes, uh, the first uh, guideline is to recognize that God's dreams aren't limited by our circumstances. God isn't limited by dysfunctional families or step parents who maybe. Uh, don't have the best influence on your kid, those kinds of things. God isn't limited; uh, wasn't limited by Joseph's family dynamics. He isn't limited by ours. He's not limited by lack of resources. He's not limited by people who love us uh, into a pit or people that hate us enough to put us there. God can take what seems like a weakness to us or an impossibility and turn it around and use it for his good. And when God does that, then God is the one that gets the glory and he's the one that shines through. Uh, he's the one uh, that people point to and acknowledge as the giver of dreams and the fulfiller of dreams. He is able. And the important thing is to not give up on the dream, not to give up on your children, but to continue to, to uh, look to God to fulfill the dreams that he gives us. And so the second guideline then for encouraging kids is to be a student of the children that God has placed in your life. Um, Joseph's father uh, didn't like the dream any better than his brothers did, but it says that he took it, tucked it away. He he kept it in mind. And God has created every child uniquely. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, they're all very different, aren't they? They have different personalities, different likes and dislikes, things that they're good at. Uh, you know, I see all the grandmas nodding because uh, we know, you know, you, you, you look at the kids and you're just so surprised how, how different they all are. And yet God is has placed abilities and dreams in them. And so our one of the most important jobs or responsibilities uh, as parents and grandparents is to notice the skills and the gifts and the likes and the passions and things that God has put into the children around us and then to be encouragers and nurture those things and help them to draw those things out and to develop those gifts. Uh, So that might mean, you know, you're paying for music lessons or horse lessons or uh, whatever it is, buying the chemistry set or whatever you see in, in your children and grandchildren to help them to nurture those gifts in our lives and to develop the skills along the way. But the most important thing is to just encourage them and, and to help them to connect the dots between the gifts that God's given them and to recognize that God has a purpose for their life. That these things aren't just accidents, that God has created them uniquely and he has a purpose for them. And then the third way that we help the kids be dream chasers is to be a dream chaser yourself. Uh, model it for your kids. When God places something on your heart to do, or maybe it's a new ministry to start or uh, something that uh, would make the world a better place or your family a better place, even if it's a, something as small as we're going to eat meals together five times a week or something like that, uh, to live that out and to follow it and, and uh, to do what God puts on your heart. And God... is never done with us. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. If you make yourself available to God, He will use you for His purposes and for His glory uh, to pursue those dreams. And God is looking for people who have the courage to act on the dreams that He gives you and to not give up. People who continue to look to Him, even when the dream becomes a nightmare, uh, to trust Him to unfold it in whatever way He chooses And our memory verse this week is from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So let's read it together. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. When God gives a dream, uh, he can bring it to fulfillment. But sometimes we come up against barriers, don't we? Uh, Things don't go as we thought they were going to go. And so we have to acknowledge that it's God's dream. If if I'm on the wrong road, God, then show me uh, which road you want me to take, how you want this to go, and to continue to acknowledge him, that, that you need him, that it's his dream, it's his purposes that you're seeking, and when you do that, he will direct your paths. When God gives a dream, he brings it to completion. And I want to close today by giving a story of an example. Uh, that's, it's just a great example of what happens when we will notice uh, God's skills, abilities, gifts in others and encourage them to chase their dream. And it's about a man who, in uh, from our time, who very much like Joseph, had a dream of providing grain to feed people. And I wonder if you recognize the name Norman Borlaug. Norman Borlaug, um, at the age of 91, won the Nobel Peace Prize. And the Nobel Committee and uh, other uh, researchers uh, had done some research. He developed a hybrid seed that could be grown in arid countries and it was very disease resistant and it was very uh, high yield grain and so they did estimations and they estimated that uh, this grain that he had developed saved about 2 billion lives uh, across the world and of course it continues uh, today through his work. But when you look at his life, maybe uh, he shouldn't be given all of the credit. Maybe some of the credit should go to a guy named Henry Wallace. Does anybody recognize uh, this man? He was the 33rd vice president of the United States. I was doing some research on him this week, and Time Magazine had listed him as one of the worst vice presidents, but uh, he had some good qualities. At the age of 11, Henry Wallace developed the first hybrid seed and um it, as a young man he founded the pioneer feed company anybody ever heard of the pioneer feed company yeah when i was a kid my dad must have sold it or something we had a big oval sign out front that said pioneer seed and when that sign came down we used it for sledding uh, <laughs> it was like it was like a big saucer we could fit five of us on it and uh we only ran over my brother said once but uh he fell off the front. It was his fault. Uh, but anyway, he founded the Pioneer Seed country, co- Company. And his hybrid seed was developed uh, for high yield. And he was credited with tripling the corn supply in Iowa and eventually in the United States through this development of, of this seed. But because this seed didn't grow well in Mexico, he had used his position to start a station in Mexico that would research and develop uh, a seed that would grow in dry climates as well. And so it was would yield in dry climates, as well as uh, yield a large amount of corn or wheat. And so he opened up this station in Mexico and he sent a young man down there to Uh, lead that research, and that young man's name was uh, Norman Borlaug. So maybe uh, Henry Wallace is the one who should get the credit for saving these lives. But then maybe it wasn't Henry Wallace uh, that should get all the credit. Maybe some of the credit should go to George Washington Carver. Is that a name that's a little more familiar to you? George Washington Carver uh, developed several products. I think a 300 products from the peanut, right? Uh, Surprisingly, one of those was not peanut butter. Uh, He wasn't the inventor of peanut butter. But he did uh, develop 100 products from sweet potatoes and uh, very well known for those things. Well, as a 19-year-old, he was studying at Iowa State and he used to take walks out into the fields there doing his research. And he had a little six-year-old tag-along uh, that would go with him. He was the son of one of the professors there at the school, and George Washington Carver instilled in this little six-year-old boy his love of plants and of seeds and the research that he was doing, and that little boy's name was Henry Wallace, the future vice president of the United States. So maybe George Washington Carver, by including a young boy and nurturing him and sharing his love of seeds and and things by sharing his time and dreams with this little six-year-old boy uh, could get some credit for uh, these two billion lives that were saved. But maybe it goes back a little bit further than that uh, to a woman named Etta Mae Budd, who we do not have a picture of. She was just an ordinary art teacher who noticed George Washington Carver's love of Plants. He just drew plant after plant. And so she suggested to him, rather than become an artist, she said, you'll never make a living as an artist, why don't you go into horticulture? And so uh, she actually took him to Iowa State, where her father was a professor, helped him to get enrolled, and she was a great encouragement to him uh, during his college years. So maybe we can trace those two billion lives saved back to one art teacher who noticed uh, the gifts and skills of a young man, George Washington Carver. And I'm wondering this morning, who are the children that God has placed in your life? And what do you see in them that may be a seed of a dream that God has for their lives? And how can you nurture them and encourage them and and help them to uh, move towards and live out the dreams that God has for them? We live in a broken world. Uh, it's so obvious, isn't it? <laughs> we see all around us the effects of starvation and, and uh, homelessness and uh, human trafficking and slave trading and You know, I was reading an article this week. This isn't part of my message, but um, the World Cup is going to be in Saudi Arabia. And I was reading this article that the labor that they're using for that is basically uh, slave labor. And the conditions that they're living in while they're doing this, I I can't remember the rate of people that are dying uh, as they build this uh, complex or whatever, but it said by the time they have hold the World Cups, 62 lives will have been... Given for every game that's played in the World Cup. Uh, We live in a broken world, and God places dreams in the hearts of His people and in the hearts of His children that will uh, be the things that God uses to fight suffering, to to bring an end to uh, some, ease someone's suffering, uh, to save lives, to change eternities and make the kingdom of God. Visible right here and now. And you can be a part of that by chasing the dreams that God puts in your heart and by encouraging people around you to be dream chasers and especially the children that God has placed in your life. And I want to urge you to notice the opportunities that we have right now in our church. Um, We're having this VBS. I think it's the first time we've had our own VBS. Uh, for a number of years that we're not doing it with baseline, it's, it's our own, and Sam needs volunteers. This is your opportunity. You know, I was talking about money a few weeks ago, or I don't know, maybe a month ago, and I said that I didn't give anything because I couldn't give what I wanted to give, but it's better to give something than to give nothing, And and I think that's the opportunity we have here. Maybe you think, well, I couldn't lead the music, or I couldn't do this, but Tell Sam that you'll help in whatever way you feel like you can. Do something rather than nothing. All right. Let's uh let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, we thank you for the dreams um, that you've placed in our heart. We thank you for the ways that we've seen people live those out in this church and the ministries that have been developed and the difference and the impact that we're making in this community through those ministries. And God, we pray, I pray for every family here that's represented here. I pray for their children. I pray for their grandchildren, that your hand of blessing would be on them, that if there's anything right now, God, that's blocking what you want to do in their life, I, I pray that you'll provide, that you'll be with them. And help us, God, to recognize the gifts in each child and be encouragers uh, so that your vision be carried out here and in the lives of those that we know and love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the back of your connection card are three ways that you might respond to the message today. The first is to memorize that memory verse from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And the second says I'm going to read these uh, scriptures over the next two weeks. And the third says I'll be watching for opportunities that God gives me to encourage others to follow their dreams.